Hey everyone, hey security peeps. We are back again. I am Renee Brown Small and I'm here with my fabulous co-host, Chris Folon. Say hi to everyone, Chris. Hey everyone. And Tony Bryan. Say hi to everybody, Tony. Hi. And we are on another special edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurity. And the reason why we have Tony Bryan here is because Tony has a, a phenomenal program that he has been working on for the past, or working within the past four years. Um, and what his program does is bake cybersecurity professionals through an apprenticeship program. And as you all know, Chris and I talk about apprenticeship programs all the time and how we need them more than ever. So we are going to just jump in and talk to Tony, ask Tony, initially, Tony, tell us how you got this thing started. You were the first ones out of the gates to get this apprenticeship program started in the cybersecurity space. And we really, really want to know um, how it's been going. Like, tell us about why you started it, how you started it, and then we'll take it from there. Yeah, well, first and foremost, thanks for having me on today. Super excited to, <clears throat> to join you guys. Um, so four years ago, you know, we're headquartered here in St. Louis, Missouri. So central, central of our country um, and so many great things happen in our own community. But four years ago, um, a group of community leaders came together and solved this, you know, all the statistics that we all see, right? 500,000 open jobs, a million and a half forecasted. And they said, hey, there's something we need to do um, as a community. And how do we, we, we should have an organization lead that for us. Um, from that, we really branched out into two specific things that we were doing. So creating workforce talent for companies today and long term, how are we engaging youth, middle school and high school students to see this as a career field, helping them see what career pathways they can, whether it's a traditional pathway through college or it's a non-traditional pathway to apprenticeship. We don't care. Right. We just want people to get jobs and, and get the training and skills they need. Um, Fast forward about a year um, year later from our inception, and we were we were doing some workforce stuff, heavily focused around boot camps and you know finding individuals that had some skills that we could send to a week long security plus uh, boot camp, which was great. That's not necessarily universal for everybody. It's hard for somebody to go from zero to security plus in forty hours, and then expect them to be technically proficient in that role. Um, and then honestly, in a very random elevator ride. Coming back from some, coming back from a regional chamber event, I met somebody from Department of Labor, and she'd asked, you know, well, what do you know about apprenticeship? And I think myself and probably like 99% of the people I talked to, I, I immediately went to trades, right? Electrician, carpenter, mm -hmm. um, very traditional apprenticeship roles. And I had no idea that there are apprenticeships out there for everything, right? Um, I think Illinois, maybe you're, you know, uh, Rural Missouri has one that makes boa, feather boas, right? Mm -hmm. So they're making boas for Beyonce. There's one in Kansas City that's doing seamstress, um, you know, teaching people how to do seamstress stuff. It's a, you know, a dying trade that, that needs people to do that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so with that and from our friends, created, you know, the first in our, in the Midwest and the third in the country. And I would say the first, like truly, cybersecurity analyst focused apprenticeship where we're providing a broad base of skills to somebody um, to get them into that space and make them successful. And what's the length of time of a, a typical apprenticeship? 
Yeah, so um, I will segue. I'm going to answer your question. I'll segue into it. So every every apprenticeship, if I am, you know, any of the ones that I just mentioned or something more specific, every apprenticeship has three core things, right? Um, first and foremost, a job. Somebody's working, they're getting paid, um, and they're earning, you know, salary while they're doing that. There's a, a, a version of curriculum or learning that that person is provided and then mentorship that that organization is providing as well. Those three things are core within every apprenticeship program and model um, that's there. So for us, our program would be a, a hybrid, right? So we serve as an intermediary. We went out and created the standards. So we've, we've mapped out the curriculum, which is about 580 hours of learning that somebody will, will undertake. Generally covers a few tracks of like network engineering, security engineering, SOC analyst uh, and penetration testing. So a broad stroke within the space. Mm -hmm. um, and then that person works on the job for around 2000 hours. When those two gates are met, that person is um, earns through us two industry recognized credentials. So generally a net plus a network plus or security plus credential um, and their department of labor, cybersecurity analyst journeyman certificate. So I'm confident mm -hmm. that those individuals are they're on the roadmap or the, the path to success for many years to come based off of those credentials. Yeah, it sounds very similar to the apprenticeship program that my brother went through. He's in the electrical field and um, to get his journeyman, he needed, I think, 4,000 hours across three years um, to get to that level. So it's definitely a good amount of hours, not like kind of like you mentioned, you can't just do 40 hours and then expect someone to be proficient. So I love that long-term approach that combines on the job learning, lots of curriculum, and then lots of time in that role to, to get to that level. Yeah. I mean, sorry, the, the Europe has, has consistently had apprenticeship at their forefront, right? And they've, they never lost sight of that. And I would say UK is a really good example of, of a country that it's mandated, right? If I am an employer, um, I am taxed if I don't do apprenticeship. If I do apprenticeship, I don't pay that tax. So it's it's created all these other secondary type of entities that exist to help companies do apprenticeship. You know, that's from, I mean, we manage a cybersecurity apprenticeship, but I would say I'm a, and I'm, and I'm, I am an apprenticeship nerd and think it's a great way for all types of roles. If I am a bank teller, um, you know, a cashier at a, at a, at a grocery store, like the, all those things that have repeatable core skill sets are very apprenticeable type of roles for somebody to get into. Now, do people typically have the two, do they typically complete the 2000 hours in a year? I know that's approximately a 40 hour week per year. So does it typically take them between a year or like one to two years? So for us, it's, it varies on the employer. I would say, 95% of our employer partners who have hired an apprentice has put that person on full time at 40 hours a week. And then they do their curriculum at night. So I would compare it to somebody who's going to night school or going to college part time. Um, and they finish that in a year. It's designed to be an 18 month apprenticeship or it's 32 hours a week. But we have found as we've had conversations with employers that 32 hours a week is really hard to manage for a large company. Um, 
you know, and or they're I mean, basically they would work Monday through Friday, 32 hours and maybe have a Friday off to do their homework. Um, so 40 hours is for us has been pretty much par for the course. And I would say it in regards, I did it myself. I did that sort of model where I was working for an employer and then I continued my additional studies. So I think that's been the model that a lot of people have done, but to have a formal program around it with that structure and that mentorship, I think that just takes it over the edge because without that additional support, you tend to not know where you're going or what to do. And I think that additional structure and support is amazing. And in addition to that, Chris, you know, you may have been, you did it um, while you, I believe you were in a different role. Were you yes. in a security role at the time? Right. So these people are actually learning on the job. They're apprentices in a cybersecurity and information security department. Right, Tony? Correct. Uh, I mean, a lot of ours have been career transitioners. Uh, our current, our candidate age range is, is very wide, right? So I would say our youngest candidate has been 19 and our, our most seasoned candidate would be 62, 63 years old. So we've had a very wide range, um, have a very popular subject, right? Uh, it's in the news, it's in the media, and it's also usually those stories have some equation around the amount of wealth and affluence that somebody can earn in the space because there is a lot there's a lot of opportunity to have a, a fairly substantial salary in the industry and so we've had a lot of interest in the program um, to try to come in so we've it, it's primarily been around career transitioners um, trying to get into that next phase of their career what are the do they typically have um is there a large percentage of people who are typically coming from one specific um area when you when you talk about transitioning professionals um could you give us the breakdown of the types of folks that come the kinds of experiences that you see coming into this program i would say it's been deep and wide um we as we started you know i and the first thing i'll say i am a nonprofit nerd through and through, right? I, I've been in this space for 10 years and I, I love this space because I like helping people. The idea of walking into somewhere and helping somebody with upward mobility makes me excited, right? Just to, you know, somebody who would be in a less, less than awesome situation that we empower that person to do, be successful. So for our, our first couple of years, we were very focused around how we are recruiting candidates um, and we've, we've have and still will continue to focus our recruitment on women, people of color and veterans, right? Cause you know, the women's side, very underrepresented within the cybersecurity workforce, people of color, definitely underrepresented within the space. And I think everybody likes a veteran, right? It's, I'm an army guy myself. So like, it's a, it's a very natural skill set transition for somebody who's, you know, been in the military and that attention to detail. And I think that call to serve something bigger is always great. Um, so we've had a very wide stretch to answer your question, a wide stretch between those things, um, those, those categories. And then from a start point, I don't know that there's been a specific industry or sector that is somebody has come from, but it's definitely been pretty deep and wide. We've gone from McDonald's, um, to somebody who works at a bank trying to jump into that. Uh, the piece that we really like about apprenticeship is like, if I am... We use Harriet, right? 
we'll, we'll name drop Harriet. So Harriet currently works at a bank. She's been at the bank for several years um, and wants to transition to the security space. That's a very good opportunity for us to partner with that bank, upskill her within that organization through apprenticeship, where she doesn't have to transfer roles and stays within that same organization. I was going to ask you, sorry, Chris, um, in regards to the, the people like Harriet, how often do you see that happening where a company will upskill and reskill their current employee versus you know people bringing in people from the outside i'm really really curious about that because that's one that, that's a gap that i think is sorely missing in organizations especially large organizations so talk to me about talk to us about it yeah i think I'm seeing an upward trend in interest in that, right? Um, Companies are starting to, to me, wave a surrender flag, if you will, and say, okay, we're we're losing this. We have to be creative in how we're hiring companies. I've seen some really good examples in maybe smaller to mid-sized companies where they embrace that upskilling better because I think it's just easier for a small to mid-sized company to do it. For those larger companies, it, it does it provides some challenges, right? So if I am working at, I don't know, insert big big company, uh, I would say I'm at Equifax, right? I've been Equifax for <laughs> 20 years. Um, Equifax in my head because I'm working with their new CISO. Um, so Equifax, I've been at Equifax for 20 years but I've been in maybe a business analyst role and I see opportunity to move upward, you know, upper mobility. Well, the, the apprentice, they're, they're going to be at a higher pay scale than what they would probably bring somebody in an entry level security role. Right. So balancing those things is, is the challenge. Um, most companies that we have found are looking for that sweet spot of three to five years or five to seven years experience. Um, and there's and so they're they're we're all kind of striving for this middle management role or managers that can drive some process and system. And so the number of entry level isn't as high as I think it probably needs to be or should be. So that that makes this world of apprenticeship much more widely accepted. Um, but upskilling is on an upward trend, and I think I think we'll continue to see that more and more. That's good to hear. Outside of um, upskilling, what other pipeline requirements do you, do they have to fill to be able to be a part of the apprenticeship program? Great question. We are actually we are you're shifting that right now. So as we started, the idea of the program was we want anybody who came to us, we were going to make sure that that person was successful, right? Um, if they needed public transportation to come to the class, we provided it. If they needed access to a laptop for that person, we provided it. If they needed Wi-Fi because they didn't have it at their house, we provided that. So we were trying to eliminate any barrier for that person and committed to them to get them to where they needed to be. That's a very large, that's a big task, right? It really is a really big task to start at zero to get them to a to a role that a company is going to say, okay, I get it. I believe that this person can do this and not, and be effective on day one. So as we've, if we, as we've had some really good conversations within CISOs, um, the standard, and I think it's a big standard. I think it might be a little skewed, but if they're telling us what the standard is, we have to meet that, right? It's, it's, it's not, we're not making that up. 
um, on our own. But Security Plus seems to be the benchmark where they feel like somebody should go and come to them somewhat equipped. Uh, so for our start point, we're looking at A plus as a requirement. Somebody would come into our program and we would run that person through a net plus and a security plus and then start their apprenticeship. And then we can hone in on pen testing, SOC analysts, and give more specific stuff as they're working with that employer. Um, but if we're shifting everything to the right, we have to then increase our start point. And it, because we have the subject is so big, I can provide, you know, our cost for somebody to go to our program is free. Um, you know, we, we get that underwritten by grants and corporate partners. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to add cost to somebody who's trying to, you know, for, for upward mobility. So we can provide a nice bench of coursework for somebody to get spun up to an A plus, right? Um, we're a CompTIA academic partner. So we get vouchers fairly cost effectively so we can, you know, provide that to that individual so they meet that standard so we can equip them with what they need. But prior to jumping into the training program we provide, we would ask that A plus as a start. Now do they um do the apprentice so when the apprentice comes to you, um do you have to go well I'm sorry. The CISOs, you talked about CISOs and that you were talking to different CISOs. Are the CISOs the ones making the decision to bring on these apprentices um, to, to have the apprenticeship program or is it typically like above them? Um, I would say our, our highest point of success has been led by CISOs, right? Where they where were able to walk in, have an understanding of what their next one to two years of hiring looks like how do we supplement that hiring strategy with something like apprenticeship, which is great, um, and then partner with them to do that? What what we what we hadn't had, right? And, I, and I'm a pretty honest, transparent person. What we hadn't had was what anybody who came to us did one, two, three, four things, right? Um, we were going to employers. We found amazing candidates in this, but I don't. We weren't providing them enough of what an employer wanted to see for them to start. So standardizing that, getting the CISOs buy-in to where there is a metric that they, some level of confidence that anybody who cyber up is going to provide to them can do X. And then our support comes in the tail end behind that. We're in a great, we're in a, a really good spot. Um, but from a hiring decision, CISOs for sure drive it. There eventually loops in some sort of human resources, talent acquisition person where we have to figure out if that person is hired directly, right? They're their W-2 employee, um, or if there's some contingent contract workforce set up where we would be a vendor of that organization um, to provide that workforce for, for a set period of time. And, and we've done it multiple ways within companies. And, and question, so for those that are looking to transition, are there like, income caps or um, max maximum requirements that if you're above this level, you, you don't qualify or anything like that? No. Um, so That's our amazing. start point from a, from a salary perspective for a candidate is, is, is 50. And this is, everybody's going to have different rates, right? So we're, we're basing our start points here in Missouri and Illinois. So our, our apprentice candidates come into it with the expectation that they would make at least $15 an hour. 
that scales over the course, much like your brother's apprenticeship, you know, a year, there's a pay increase. So since we're 2000 hours, every 500 hours, there's a sequenced gate and a pay increase that comes with that and eventually makes its way up to 24 an hour. So if you average those amounts out, it comes out to about 39,000 a year. Um, I would say, I will say every company we've, we've placed with, nobody wants to do a pay increase every three, every quarter, you know, cause that, that it's an HR nightmare. So most of them will generally do the average type of salary and, and sticks around that 40 to 50 range within that pay scale. And then we're, we're making sure that they're getting what they're getting what they're worth. They're getting their value behind it. And the apprentice has a living wage that they can sustain a family. Uh, we've had some that that's a big pay increase for that person. We've had some where that was a pay reduction for that person where they were doing something at a help desk, but wanted to be into, in a more technical role and transition into the apprenticeship. Um, she's out at Centene, which is a pretty big uh, pharmacy benefit manager here in St. Louis and is doing pen testing and sock stuff. And she was at a help desk prior. So like she's getting way more technical skills. So it took a small pain, you know, a small pay cut for a year, but her upward mobility at this point is astronomical, right? She's going to you know, grow from here substantially. Yeah. Yesterday we had um, a person on Gretchen Richards who talked about employee engagement and one of her statistics that, that was that people would take up to, I think she said a 30% pay cut to grow their skills and, you know, continue They'll take a cut to be engaged in a, in a, in a field where they know that they can grow and learn. So, you know, your, your, your person is doing just that. Um, So typically when they, when they're in the apprentice roles, are they in like a sock environment? Like what's usually that apprenticeship position? Are they in identity access management? Like what are they in insecurity? So everybody has been different. So that, that's what's interesting. Like there's not, I, I wish, so when we created this a few years ago, we debated a few things, right? In theory, if we really wanted to, we could go, we could take the nice framework and make an apprenticeship for all seven buckets, right? And then we would then be able to very hone in and specialize on where we were placing um, individuals my fear with doing that was that I'm taken back to my own college experience when I was 18 and I wanted to be a doctor, right? I went to a really good university, sort of taking my first bio and chemistry classes, realized they were really hard and I got washed out really quickly <laughs> and it wasn't going to be for me, right? And so my fear is like, I would say 75% of the people that come into our program are immediately drawn to Take a guess. What do you think they're drawn to? Money. Pen testing. Pen testing. Well, money, money first, right? <laughs> and pen testing. Um, but I, I would say that out of that seventy-five percent, you know, there's a large percentage of those folks that like kind of know what pen testing is, but really don't like. They know what it is, but they don't. Mm-hmm. And so my fear is that they would jump into it and say, you know what, I'm more of an incident response guy. I don't think I want to do pen testing, but they've already kind of put a, a flag in the ground and they've gone down that path and there's not a, there would be no way to right or wrong it, you know, or, or shift and pivot for that. So we've stayed broad in our curriculum. So for the hiring component, we've had folks in, in help desk roles. 
We've had folks in access, you know, identity management. We've had folks in SOC environments. Um, one of our candidates, her her entire apprenticeship was centered around getting somebody to be nice framework compliant because they were doing government work. So she got very familiar with the NIST standards and wrote the systems and policies and procedures for that entire company, right? Like there's no user's manual for that, for that person. She just figured it out. Um, So it's been very deep and wide. So there hasn't been one, you know, we're coming to a company and saying, Hey, we know you, we know you have folks. Uh, you have roles that are open. There are challenges in trying to recruit these individuals. Give them a chance. Give them an opportunity to be successful in your organization in some sort of technology role, right? And the tech, and then we will continue to provide them ongoing security training. So they're you're grooming your future cybersecurity leaders um, from that. So we've been pretty broad in that that space. And, and then. Do you see a lot of interest on the people in process side of it or more interest on the, the deep technical side of it, of security? I'd say we've been about 50-50. I mean, you know, so those career transitioners are probably looking more management, right? I don't know that they want to get into the, you know, callies and pushing, you know, code and scripts and bash bunnies and all that fun hacking stuff. Um, you know, they're wanting to get more in the management and kind of orchestration and policy and procedure. Um, and then, of course, some of our younger college students that would come to us are, are really engaged and interested in that hacking, hacking type of, of role that they would get to be able to do those technical things. So it's, it's been pretty, pretty half and half. That, that's good to hear, because one of the things that Renee and I always talk about is that there's so many different roles within this ecosystem that are not technical. Yeah. Um, from the HR to the sales to the communication to the governance and policy, that everyone doesn't have to be technical. And all too often we see um, when someone asks for advice, they are immediately pushed down the technical route. So uh, it's good to hear that it's a mixture of both. Yeah, especially like throwing in that policy part, the documentation, like people tend to not think of that when they're from the outside looking in, seeing cybersecurity and, you know, when you look on, if you see an ad or you look on TV or whatever, it's just like code flying around and all these computers and black rooms and hoodies and all that. And so by being able, yeah, Chris is going <laughs> to. That, that was well played. It looks yeah, good. As, you know, so, you know, we, it, it's so good to hear this, to hear that these people are breaking in and coming in and coming through your program and they're able to get in there in all different ways. So I echo what Chris said. I mean, if we're honest, right, everybody has a broad sense of what cybersecurity is. But until you peel back the layers of the onions to what that what that means, there's, there's not a, a solid answer of what somebody would come in day one of what they want to do. And so that's where we've we've tried to keep our, our training and curriculum kind of broad. So that way, between that candidate and that employer, they're able to pick together what skill set they're going to have and what thing that they want to focus in. Because if somebody, the consistent thing I've heard from every employer is they, they're willing to invest into somebody, um, regardless of degree or formal education, as long as they have some level of aptitude, desire, and reliability. Um, a willingness to roll their sleeves up and problem solve on their own, right? If I get stuck on something, go to Google, search something and figure it out and come to me with, I don't expect a perfect solution, 
But if you're coming up to coming to me with some rec, uh, recommendation, then I can I can finish it and take it home. But it's freeing me up to do all the other things that I would do. So we spend a lot of tr- time unpackaging those attributes, um, you know, of how we measure that. And so in our application, some of it's just hoops, right? That we're making people go through lots and lots of steps and, and requiring an excessive amount of attention to detail. So that way we can show that um, you know, we do our own personal interview and in the application process. And we ask, well, why do you want to do cybersecurity? And if, if they're saying, well, I want to make a lot of money, that's probably not a great person that's going to come into the program, right? Like it's a byproduct of it. And we all, I have, I, everybody here has families. Like I want to make money too, so I can support my kids. But an employer doesn't want to hear that. They want to hear somebody's going to get in and like get a fire in their belly and, and learn this space and really jump into it. So anyways, I'll step yeah. off the soapbox. No, no. I, I think some of the points that you brought up with, um, A, the self-discovery. That's one of the things that um, in my RSA talk, if I had gone, um, that we definitely talk about is figuring out like where you are now and where you want to go. And then what of your, your skills and competencies that you can take from your previous experience or that you're interested in that you can take into those roles before you, you, you pencil in where you want to go. Yeah. I've met so many cool people in this industry that have a, that, that just love the space, right? The, you know, they hate the hoodies. They hate the hacker minds, not the mindset, but just the, the aura that comes behind it. But I've not met anybody who isn't willing to jump in and invest their time and energy into somebody who has an interest and passion into the space because they, they, they're, they're experiencing the challenges of, you know, too much work because there's not somebody to support them do it. And they want to groom the next generation of kids to get into this space, which is awesome. So, like, you know, even nine years in the Army for me, this is probably as close as I've seen to just amazing teamwork and people who give up hoot um, about the space and want to like see it be better, right? It, it, it's, it's been really cool and fun just to dive into this. I've met some amazing people in the last four years that care about protecting our data, which I appreciate on a personal level. Yeah, Chris and I talk about, we, we talk about this all the time about how in this industry, and we've had many people come on um, who have come from other industries and other spaces. And, you know, we talk about the community that's here and how more so than I've seen anywhere else as well, um, someone's always willing to help. And you have people who are like cyber celebrities, you know? We have someone we have someone like a Chris Roberts who would jump right in and help people. And one of our yeah. guests, he's yeah. awesome. And one of our guests said, um, I remember the quote, I can't remember the guest name, but he made a comment and he was at finance. And he said, you know, I can't reach out to a Jamie Dimon, like the CEO of JP Morgan Chase, and get and, and, and send him a LinkedIn and get a response. But you know, you, you go to people who are seasoned in the field, these CISOs, these CEOs of organizations, and they'll respond back to you. It's it's kind of shocking for people who come out of other industries where they don't see this kind of community. So Tony, you're you're spot on with saying like you know, I've, I haven't been in the military, but I feel like this this level of community where you reach out to people and they immediately just jump in to help and they want to, they're like dying to help grow the next group of talent is so, so, so on point. Yeah, so, I, I, 
I remember I reached out to Ron Gula about seven years ago, and he responded to me instantly, and I was just amazed by that. Because um, at the time, he was the CEO of Tenable. Um, so the fact that he just responded back and gave me lots of useful information was amazing. Yeah, I pinged Chris Roberts, ironically, this week, because he I'd read his kind of feedback on RSA. <laughs> and, I, and I've always appreciated his candor, right? Like so he's fun. a genuinely honest dude who's going to drop an F-bomb here um, and just say it how it is. And that he's authentic, right? I think it's probably the, yeah. the right the right word. So <laughs> those are things that I, I appreciate. Um, we've tried to be authentic within our apprenticeship program and how we are doing it. Um, because I, I do care when I, when I hear a million and a half roles and we, you know, we've been very interconnected with like DOD and government space. A lot of those roles sit in a government setting that are requiring a clearance. Well, if we don't fill those roles, something that the three of us on this podcast right now isn't being protected. I don't know about you, but that scares the crap out of me. Um, that, you know, my government things, you know, or vulnerable for somebody else, seeing that somebody, you know, the China was hacking, you know, or the Equifax thing, they were behind it. Like, that's frightening to me. So anyways, that's where my nerdy passion comes into <laughs> it. Um, it's just, you know, and how do you, how do you help companies see that this is a value? I'm interested to see what the next five to 10 years brings, right? So, you know, the Chris Roberts, um, the Ron Goulas of the world, these, you know, today's current cybersecurity leaders didn't have a very traditional pathway to get to that role, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they got into an IT and they kind of moved their way up and then eventually got good at something. And so their their career paths, because I always ask, I'm like, well, how did you get to where you're at? And I've never seen like this straight line from college to here, to here, to here, to here. Well, we're, we're on that now, right? With, with NSA Centers of Excellence in Colleges and cybersecurity degrees, what does that workforce look like in five to 10 years with this, this new focus on education around it and how do leaders groom into it and how do those two work together? And then how can you sprinkle apprenticeships into that to make it, you know, really hit the you know, full spectrum. Um, yeah. Three percent of degrees are computer science right now, you know, so like that's, I use St. Louis, so 5,600 roles and we're throwing 3% of that into the St. Louis market an annual basis, assuming they're all going to security role, then we're slightly short to get to full employment. We, we almost doubled, we doubled last year, almost um, open roles just locally here in, in our market. Yeah. Um, would you be able to share the link to your program? We have um, several of the listeners that are wanting the links um, to your program and your apprenticeships. Um, share them with us and then we can paste them into um, the final output of the chats, that way they can have access to it. Um, and then the other thing, one of our listeners mentioned about clearances that they're hard to get. Yes, they're hard to get because of the fact that you can only get a clearance if the company is working on a cleared role. So they have yeah. to A, have won the bid for the cleared role or have a, a contract in which the government will allow the lead time for the needed investigation. And that needed investigation will range anywhere from six months to um, two to three years, depending on the level of clearance that's needed. 
So yes, um, that's why they're hard to get. <laughs> I can say from experience. <laughs> it's a chicken egg. I can't get a job without a clearance, but I can't get a clearance without a job. Yeah. And so we're we're working and getting our facilities clearance as an organization, so then we can we can hold those clearances, right? And that that opens up a pretty big opportunity for us for candidates. So. You know, that would be huge. Booz Allen or, you know, insert XYZ government contractor could put us, could carve out X amount of apprenticeship, apprenticeable type of roles that we could then fill for those individuals and then manage those clearances ourselves. So I anticipate we're going to fall into your cycle that, you know, we start our SF86 process here in March and, you know, six to eight months later, we fast forward. Maybe we have it. Um, I think we'll start with the secret security clearance um, just to get started, but eventually would need to get a top secret. So I'm sitting in my office. I'm downtown St. Louis. I'm probably two and a half miles from the $1.8 billion national geospatial um, new campus. that's going up downtown here. And so that's going to grow our market substantially in the government space. So, you know, it's, we have to be able to do it. And, and the contractor's in a really tough spot, right? You start sprinkling in 8570 standards, which a cookie cutter government employee needs three things, right? Their clearance, they need a security plus, and then they need um, generally a degree um, that they're going to be able to get that job. And sometimes you can get by without the degree and a sec plus and a clearance, um, but it's very hard to get past those two things without a sec plus and a clearance. So it's it's hard. It'd be really exciting for your organization to be inside the government. So not only working with government contractors, but working actually with some of those three letter agencies to help, you know, from from that perspective, too. Um, I had a question around the leadership. So the person that the apprentice is under. What type of training or um, support is provided to that manager or that person who has this person under their wing that they're kind of like providing them with the right type of the, the projects, the work, all that kind of stuff? I'm, I'm thinking about it from a, a leadership perspective. Like, why would a C? I, so one of the things that I hear, let me take a step back. Some of the things that I hear from leadership sometimes is, especially if they're strapped, and it's again another chicken and egg situation. But if they're strapped for time, they, you know, they, their, their roles in and of themselves don't last that long. You know, <laughs> like there's been all this, um, these uh, little funny talks about it being not um, the what CISO stands for, um, CISO. But in, in the long and short of it, my question is around these folks, they're already strapped, they're stressed, and they, they, they don't have a ton of time. How does this make their lives easier from a shorter term perspective and the types of leaders, what kind of people do you need um, to be able to take an apprentice, uh, an apprentice under their wing and get that person up to speed? Yeah, so I, I think that goes back to the standard in which we heard that they wanted somebody to come into their organization at. That makes sense, the Security Plus. Mm -hmm. So our first year and a half, you know, I was I was going to that person, right, and saying, hey, I've got amazing people. They're going to need some help. You're gonna, there's some mentoring and coaching that we can provide you the framework for that to be successful, but give them a chance. Um, and that was a really hard, for lack of a better term, sell for that person, right? Like, you know, what you just described is, you know, 
person X security professional has 25 tasks that they're managing on a day, bringing somebody onto the team means that they're going to be able to dump five of those, right? And that person owns those five. But in the interim, if I'm training that person up, I might be adding 30 things to my list of 25. So they, they mostly want somebody who can step in day one and do that. So us increasing our our start and endpoint of our pre-apprentice program and then and furthering on our apprenticeship training will help circumvent some of those challenges we have um, within those. We've we've been fairly creative here trying to figure out a couple ways to um, incorporate our own type of structure within our organization. So we, we explored the idea of like making a sock type of environment in our office where we could take some candidates that needed additional experience and put them into our environment and partner with an MSP where we would be their SOC, you know, their, um, their SOC of service where we would then provide the monitoring for that. And then that gives that person some hands-on experience that makes them more work ready when they would step into that piece. Um, that requires a substantial investment on our part, obviously, in the technology and SOC stuff and then just the salaries and, you know, we are a nonprofit, so they would have to have some man to write that. But, um, great question. The, the, I think the right mix is some level of cert, some level of ability of measuring that person's ability to perform day one gives that manager the confidence they need to be successful and not feel like they're just, um, there's a word that's in my head, but handholding that person. And does the manager or the person that's taking this person on, do they even need to be at a manager level? Like, can it just be, you know, like one of the things that they do really, really well, or they, I don't know if they still do it, but in consulting companies, like the big four, PWCs and the EYs of the world, you know, that first couple years you're in, by the next year, you're managing a team. By the next couple years, you know, you, you grow up really quickly. So in a couple years, in two to three years or so, you're leading, you have a team, you're managing, you're kind of, you, you have the next the next crop of fresh grads underneath you. And so it gives you that leadership experience like really quickly. And I know in the military, it's pretty much, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of similar. Like you, you just move yeah. up the ranks kind of quickly. So I'm wondering if in the, if the apprenticeship programs, if the person has to be super seasoned, can it just be somebody that has like a couple more years more than the, it's almost like you're training a person to do a job you did last year. Yeah. I mean, I think that's more. So the nice thing about apprenticeship is, you know, you have this, we've created the standards and what that 2000 hours looks like. So they know what gates that they're going to have to hit and what, and what that manager or person would have to support that person over the course of 2000, 2000 hours. It's fluid enough to where they can tweak and kind of perfect that on their end. So the most successful candidates I've seen was there was a, a pretty in-depth level of um, thought put around what that 2000 hours was going to look like. So if you take a fairly large organization that has multiple layers within their security team and they eat, they do a couple of rotations within those departments, that gives that person a really good spectrum across the board. So those have been the most successful. And then it doesn't fall solely on one manager to do that for that person. Does that make sense? Like, um, you know, so I'm, I do a quarter of a sock and I do a quarter of clients and I do a quarter of, you know, employee engagement. So now I've got a nice spectrum of that. And I can then, the employer's going to know, man, 
you know, Tony's really great at pen testing. He should be a pen tester. He's like, he's a good sock guy. He should go do our socks. So they, they, I think it gives a good spectrum. Um, that's easier for large companies than it would be for smaller companies because there's more infrastructure or the mid to small companies that maybe are just starting a security they have one, they have a CIO and then a director of cybersecurity and they're not quite at a CISO level and maybe a team of two or three, then that person, like, that becomes a different type of apprenticeship where they're falling under somebody probably specifically and learning the whole gamut. So it, it's, the, there's not one straight cookie cutter answer for all of it, but mm-hmm. the world of apprenticeship makes it fluid enough to where it can fit in any of those scenarios. Um, so our answer to an employer is always yes. If they're willing to do it, we will figure out how to make it work for that company because um, we want we want them to be successful. That's good to hear. So Chris, I know we're we're almost at forty five minutes. Wow, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> such a great conversation. The um, clock is like it, it makes my blood pressure go up because I see it clicking over there. <laughs> it's like a bomb. Tick tick tick. So Chris, you want to you want to wrap yeah. it up? Um, if you had one piece of sage advice for someone looking to get into um, an apprenticeship program, what would you give them? Like, what advice would you give them? Um, so as I would say, outside, if you want to get into cybersecurity, there are so many opportunities, so many ways, right? You've got college and community college and boot camps and um, pay to play type of things where you learn skills. Um, they're all good options. One, I would say, do a deep dive into the space and make sure that cybersecurity is where you want to be. It might be software development, and that's awesome. There's there's so many other buckets and areas within IT broadly that somebody could learn. Make sure it's the right skill set that you want to do. Um, I encourage IT Fundamentals is a really solid class that CompTIA offers that gives a nice broad stroke of all of the IT course coursework, and they can make an educated decision. From that point, if apprenticeship is where they want to go and it seems to be the most viable for them, um, you know, your workforce job, your job center, your workforce investment opportunity act boards um, that are sitting in your city and hometown are a really good resource. They've got a lot of federal dollars that have been brought into these states and communities. They've done a great job of finding organizations like ours to be a clearinghouse, right? So don't... uh, it's, it's the former unemployment office, but it's, you know, job centers that are in most of the cities. Um, go to that organization, talk to their staff and, and say, hey, I'm kind of interested in doing this. And they probably have some place that they would recommend you to go to, um, to an us to, you know, start that application process. Um, do your due diligence on the organization. Um, determine if it's a you pay or they pay type of thing, right? Because it and see what's going to fit for, for you. Um, and then understand what the curriculum is going to look like and, and ask very in-depth questions behind it. What, you know, what's your placement rate? What type of employers are you working with? Um, you know, what classes are you going to get? Um, kind of selfish with it, right? I'm with, I mean, like not, not overly selfish, but like you, nobody's going to advocate for you better than what you advocate for yourself. Um, but ultimately make an educated decision. If you have a passion and interest to do it, I promise anybody who would be listening that there are ways to get into it. Apprenticeship is one of them. I think it's a really great way. I'm proud of the work we do and how we help people do it. Um, But there's lots of really good opportunities out there um, to get into the space. 
that was a long answer to your question, but hopefully <laughs> somewhat, somewhat helpful. I, you know, I mean, my phone, if I had a dollar for every time my phone rings through a week where somebody is, you know, has called and asked about the program, you know, and I always, my first question is, if you visit our website and 99% of the time it's no, I'm like, great, that lists all of our stuff on there and it gives you some really good examples of, of how to get going. Um, but I, I tell them a couple of things, right? Do the same thing, IT fundamentals, there's Professor Messer, Cybrary, right? Uh, IT Pro TV, watch a couple videos and then, you know, make an education read and then come back to me. Most people don't come back to me, but those that do are the ones that I know want to come into my program, right? And that they're the right fit. They're going to go above and beyond. So it's not easy. You know, any of the path that I described that you're going to, that I just said is not an easy thing for you to do. You're not going to go take a class and the light bulb's going to go off and you're going to get a job and now you're making six figures and, you know, you're hacking all the things, right? It's not that easy. Continue to groom, grow your skills, hop on Reddit, follow YouTubers, get on Twitter, right? And engross yourself into the space and, and ask for it. Yeah. Besides, we've got STL Cyber here. OWASP has a really great chapter here in St. Louis. Um, I want to say there are no less than 50 technology meetups here in St. Louis, right? I mean, I know we're not alone. Every city has that. Go go attend these, meet these people, um, ask questions, and, and make an educated decision on it. Um, now, that's my long, random rant <laughs> Um, that I could give in a short period of time, but there's, it's a cool, it's a cool space. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. We, we really appreciate it. And we hope our listeners get as much out of it as we do, because we feel like we always learn every time we bring guests on, we learn as much as our listeners do. Right. And they, and they've been asking questions and we've been asking some of those questions while they've been on. Um, but before we wrap, because this week is such a busy week for for Chris and for me, I am also sharing that Chris is going to be running the career component, right? Yeah. Uh, besides Nova. So if you are in Northern Virginia or the DC metro area, please go check out Chris. And on the same day that I'm supposed to be hanging out with Chris, I am actually going to be hanging out with some teen girls in the, on the other side of Nova <laughs> in Leesburg. <laughs> at the Power Up Women's Conference. And we are still looking for sponsorship dollars for these teens. It costs $50 to sponsor one teen. So if you want to help me grow the next group crop of cyber talent, the way Tony's been doing, uh, 50 bucks. Well, definitely not the way Tony's been doing, but give getting them um, exposure into the cybersecurity space. So if anybody wants to sponsor, that would be awesome such much 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 appreciated a lot of these girls are from disenfranchised communities and this support really really helps them so that is all for today thank you all for supporting us and coming on here and listening to us and breaking into cybersecurity. and we will see you actually tomorrow we have a full week this week chris and i have been busy and we will see you tomorrow thanks everybody bye, thanks, bye.